Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome to CRTV's Relatable, where you can find me every Wednesday giving my Christian conservative analysis of relevant cultural and political topics. Uh, you can also find me at CRTV.com slash Allie, where I have two videos per week offering my commentary. Um, I hope that you guys are having a great week. I'm sorry that this is coming to you a little bit uh, later today on Wednesday. I'm having some serious technical difficulties. I love technology, but I also hate technology. And so that is the reason why this is coming out so late today. So I'm sorry. Um, I hope that you guys are having a great week. I got to meet a lot of you at YWLS last weekend. And I'm so glad that I did. Y'all are literally my reason for podcasting every week. Y'all make everything worth it. Even those of you who I have never met before. And I just love you. Um, okay, so we have a full fun episode today that will really be in two parts. The first one is going to address everything that's going on with immigration, which seems to be dominating our news cycle. A bunch of you guys have been asking me to talk about that. Um, I will tell you the facts about what's going on at the border, what each side is saying, and what the possible solutions are. Uh, per usual, the media is absolutely idiotic in their portrayal of this. So I'm going to do my best to cut through the noise and to give it to you straight while also obviously offering my opinion about everything. Then you're going to hear the Skype interview that I had with Turning Point USA's Candace Owens. Um, I had never talked to Candace before, and because she's in the news so much, I wanted to get to know her, address some criticism that she has faced, and kind of just understand what her why is, what her goal is in the conservative movement. And then at the end, I will answer one really good Bible question that one of you sent me. Um, I think it's a question that we all have had some at some point in our lives. So don't miss that. Um, okay, without further ado, let's get into this immigration issue. Um, ugh, ugh is what I have to say first. Just ugh. This has been such an ugly news cycle. Um, so if you remember a few weeks ago when this article and these photos were circulating on Twitter of illegal immigrant kids and what looked like cages at a pound, people were saying, oh, the humanity, oh, this is Trump's America. Uh, the only problem was they were pictures in an article from 2014 when Obama was president. Uh, people from the Obama administration had actually retweeted this stuff and then they deleted it. Why? Because Trump derangement syndrome is very real. And otherwise, probably pretty smart people do very stupid things when they're so blinded by hate that they can't even see a date of when an article was published. Um, but it didn't even matter because it sparked so much outrage that this was all people could talk about. And as it turns out, there is a problem at the border. Kids are being held in centers right now with chain link fences without their parents. And it is very sad. Um, what you're hearing from basically every member of the media, even former First Lady Laura Bush, is that this is a horrific Trump policy that under his direction, Border Patrol agents are ripping children away from their mothers and that at any moment, Trump could stop this and we could all go back to the way things were where the border was safe and illegal immigrant families were together and got to stay together happily ever after. So some of that is true, um, which is exactly what makes it such a compelling lie. Uh, families are being separated at the border and Trump could stop this if he wanted to and go back to the way things were. Uh, the lies are that this is a Trump policy to specifically separate families and that the way things were before were so much better. So let me break that down. Um, the current law qualifies that the first illegal border crossing is a misdemeanor. The second time is a felony. 
Either way, you are breaking the law. This was the case under Obama. It is the case now. The difference between Obama and Trump is that Obama decided during his presidency that he was not going to enforce the law and Trump and his administration are. Trump and company have adopted what they call a no tolerance policy, meaning that if you are an adult crossing the border illegally, you will be prosecuted and detained as a criminal. Uh, The byproduct of prosecuting an adult is separation from their child. In no other circumstance in the United States do you detain the child when a parent commits a crime. During Obama's time, if you were an illegal adult uh, that was part of a family unit, you basically got a free pass. It was kind of like a, a speeding ticket or a parking ticket. You were given a court date and you may or may not show up. Um, so the law then is the law now. But the difference is, again, that Trump is actually enforcing this law and Obama did not, at least for part of his presidency. Um, during most of Obama's presidency, this exact same thing was happening. But where was the media outrage then? Um, it was at the very most minimal. It was reported on, but not like this. Um, I mean, turn on any network that is not Fox News and people are basically in hysterics over this, talking about the inhumanity and the cruelty of it all. And I'm not saying that some of what they're saying isn't true, but it's really hard to take them seriously when their outrage is clearly directed towards Trump not towards the mistreatment of these kids. If they really cared about these kids, they would have always cared about them, even when Obama was doing the same thing. Um, I find it very troubling when people let the news cycle dictate their outrage rather than simply having principles and values um, and reacting according to those. Uh, Those principles and values should not change based on who's in office. Rather, they should be doing that rather than reacting according to what is trending on Twitter. Um, We're just hearing so much stupidity and just misinformation about uh, this border issue. So let me give you the big five things, the big five things that I've taken away from this, and then I'll go on to explaining the rest. Number one, the policy by the Trump administration is to prosecute adults who entered the country illegally, aka not at a legal port of entry, aka break the law. It is the prosecution that results in the separation of parents from kids. When you break the law, you run the risk of separating from your family. That is true in all situations of lawbreaking, period. Granted, the Trump administration has been divided on this, which is always their problem. They have way too many messengers. Um, Everyone should just shut up and let Kirsten Nielsen, who is the Secretary of Homeland Defense, talk. But no matter what, the fact is, if you want to avoid separation, enter legally at a port of entry and file for asylum. Number two, I do believe it is best for children in most cases to stay with their parents. I am pro-life, meaning that I want families to stay together from the womb to the tomb, if humanly possible. As long as the parent is their real parent, which is not always the case in these scenarios, and as long as the parent is not causing harm to the child, I would like to see a way for them to stay together. I also want these kids to be kept in humane environments, um, treated with dignity, with love, and with respect. Some of these facilities, it sounds like, are actually really great, more like um, boarding schools, but some I've heard and seen are not. I personally am very uncomfortable with the reports of these kids basically having to fend for themselves, uh, nursing babies supposedly being separated from their moms. Um, That makes me sick. No matter what your stance is, I think that we can agree that the conditions need to be drastically improved in some of these facilities. Number three, the solution to all of this um, is on Congress, not only on Trump. Trump is only enforcing the law that Obama, beginning as recently as 2014, decided not to. Uh, Congress needs to present a legislative fix 
uh, to this, which Ted Cruz is doing. Whatever legislation is presented needs to allow for two things, the continued criminalization of crossing the border illegally and the detention of families who cross the border together while they are either awaiting deportation or the approval of their asylum claim, which leads to number four. Most Democrats do not want to hear legislative solutions to this problem. They're using this to gain moral and political capital. That's the bottom line. The proof is in the piece of legislation written by Senator Feinstein and uh, signed by all uh, signed with, you know, given a stamp of approval by all other senators um, that they're currently proposing is absolutely ridiculous. It would basically mean that you cannot separate a child from any prosecuted criminal within 100 miles of the border, any part of the U.S. border. If they wanted to actually end this, they they would propose legislation that's, oh, I don't know, not a complete laughing stock to the rule of law. Um, Democrats are not going to pass a solution. They do not want a solution. They want this to last as long as humanly possible because they're going to use it as PR for the Democratic Party to lord it over Republicans in the midterms. They want immigrants to be able to come in no matter what, no questions asked, and they want to paint all Republicans and Donald Trump as evil in the meantime. They think that is going to help them. But in my opinion, this is not going to help Democrats because once again, they're showing just how crazy they are. Republicans and conservatives are willing to come to the table. We've expressed the same concerns they have, and it's like they are not listening. They continue to label us as these bigots because we won't jump on the Trump is literally Hitler bandwagon. Newsflash. People don't like being categorized as Nazis just because you disagree with them. That's exactly what made you guys lose in the first place. It's like y'all can't even have a discussion without taking it to the most absurd ad hominem degree. And then guess what? No one listens to you anymore. We all care about children. You think I like hearing about the Down syndrome girl who was separated from her parents? No, it breaks my heart that she was separated. It breaks my heart that she was in this situation in the first place. We all want some kind of fix, but until Democrats take about 500,000 chill pills, nothing is going to get done. Plus, I mean, it just has to be asked, why do Democrats all of a sudden care about children? The irony has to be pointed out that the party who literally celebrates as choice babies being ripped apart by forceps in the womb is suddenly torn up about the mistreatment of children. I mean, really? And number five, the media, per usual, is not helping. They are making things worse. They have already made up their minds. They are making arguments devoid of any fact or reason, and they are labeling everyone who doesn't agree with them as bad people. What they've made clear is that you cannot bring facts to a feelings fight. Every headline says it is Trump's policy to separate families, which is not true. The press listened to the audio of crying children during a press conference. Rachel Maddow cried on air. And again, I'm not saying they can't be upset about what's going on. I'm upset about what's going on, but forgive all of us if we have a tough time taking this hysteria seriously when you had very little to say when the same thing was happening under Obama and when you won't even cover the actual facts of what's going on. They are making people completely turn off. No one believes you guys in the media anymore. The reason people are taking it as seriously as they should is because no one trusts you. It might be as bad as you say, but it doesn't matter because you guys have exaggerated everything Trump has done for the last two years. You guys don't have any credibility. It's the boy who cried wolf. Everything since 2016 has been the end of the world. And now when you actually need people to listen to you, they're not. 
And here's the truth. There are legal means by which you can flee danger in your country and come to the United States. You can go to a port of entry and file for asylum. When you do, you are either held in a detention facility or placed on parole if you're able to put up money or have family in the area uh, while you await the verdict of your application. You have to prove to the judge that you are indeed fleeing imminent danger. If not, you will be deported with your family. If so, your asylum will be granted and you get to stay here with your family. But you are not separated from your family or the policy is not to separate from the family unless you break the law by crossing illegally or if you are assumed to be a danger to your child. So our only options to stop that separation is either A, we stop prosecuting adults as criminals for crossing the border or B, we find another way to detain these criminals with their families. I advocate for B. I do not think it helps anything or anyone to stop prosecuting people who cross into the country illegally. It is a crime. There are legal ways to flee your country and sneaking across the border is not one of them. They should be prosecuted, detained with their families and either file for asylum or be deported. But in order to keep um, in order to be able to keep the child with the prosecuted adult, there has to be a law change. There has to be legislation that says if you're prosecuted as an illegal immigrant crossing the border, you will stay with your family. Democrats, though, really think or say that they think that turning anyone away is mean. They think that we should regard every illegal immigrant as a refugee. Actually, they don't even believe in using the term illegal when it comes to immigrants. They say that people can't be illegal. Um. Do you say the same thing to people who break into your house? It is the breaking in that is actually illegal, right? Just as it is the crossing into our country without permission that is illegal. I'm sorry if you have a problem with that term, but that's literally just what it is. Conservatives, of course, believe in legal immigration, but believe that in order to have any sovereignty whatsoever as a nation, we have to have laws and laws by nature must be mandatory to be considered laws. They're not meant to be suggestions. And if they are mandatory, then there must be consequences to breaking them. So let's go backwards with that logic. If people are able to break the law without consequence, then those laws are not laws. They are suggestions. If we have no laws, then who are we to say that we are a nation? Do you see how that works? In order for a nation to actually exist, it has to have enforceable laws. There has to be a consequence for breaking the law. And not just any law, but especially immigration laws. A country without borders isn't actually a country. It's just a massive land where people come and go as they please. How are we supposed to govern a nation in which we have no control over who comes in and who doesn't? That is not compassionate. That is completely imprudent. Are we not supposed to consider the welfare of our own people? We don't have unlimited resources. You do have to consider the cost, and it's not mean to do so. This is just a, a fact of the matter is that the vast majority of illegal immigrants in this country are on welfare. Um, that's from research from the Center for Immigration Studies. So tax dollars are supporting people who, instead of entering the country the right way, ignore the law and are now living here on America's dime. And I think that when we think of that, it sounds uh, so selfish. We think of these rich, privileged Americans paying a few bucks for the illegal immigrant. But no, that's not reality. We're talking about the middle class, the people who are barely getting by. They're the ones who are feeling the weight of illegal immigration in this country. Not to mention the crimes that are committed by illegal immigrants. Now, this is not to say that all illegal immigrants or even most illegal immigrants come here and commit additional crimes. I don't think that's true. But the fact of the matter is the crimes they do commit would not have been committed in this country if they were not here. Kate Steinle, killed by an illegal immigrant in San Francisco, would still be alive. The dozens of teenagers we've heard about killed by the violent gang MS-13, they would still be alive. Drunk drivers who are illegal immigrants who are guilty of manslaughter, their victims would still be alive. 
Look, I am pro-immigrant and I am pro-asylum when people truly need asylum. I believe that immigration should be tightly controlled, though, that it should be merit-based in order to prove that if you come into this country, you will be able to support yourself and contribute. I believe that we should build a wall, something I did not used to believe, but now really do. Now, there are different kinds of walls. Um, a A friend of mine shared with me an article about a smart wall, which is really uh, just meant to use all technology that we have at our disposal to secure the border rather than an actual physical barrier. So maybe um, if we had a wall, some kind of wall that actually stops people from crossing along the southern border, these atrocities wouldn't be happening here or they'd be happening at a much lower rate, I guarantee you. If you make it nearly impossible to cross the border illegally, you're not going to have women and children risking their lives to do it. Which is something we also have to consider, the safety of the people who are crossing the border illegally. Um, Huffington Post reported all the way back in 2014 that 80%, 80% of women crossing the border coming from Central America are being raped on their journey. 80%. In many of these cases, the so-called families um, that show up aren't actually families, that they use these kids as human shields, basically, so they can get priority for um for asylum. Those are just two examples of how it's so dangerous for these people to make this journey. Smugglers use women and children to get drugs across the border. Kirsten Nielsen uh, said that human smuggling cartels are making $500 million a year smuggling these people illegally across the border. And the Washington Post fact checked that and actually said that that was a low ball number, that they're actually probably making much more than that. So this is a multi-million dollar, probably nearly a billion dollar illegal enterprise happening here. The smuggling of people across the border and we are the bad guys. Why don't we talk about these people in other countries who are exploiting children for monetary gain? Um, If you go to the FBI government website, you will see their description of violence that happens on the Mexican side of the border, the absolutely horrific atrocities being committed by people there, not just murder and rape, but torture, unspeakable violence. And where is the Mexican government, by the way? Hmm. But but we're to blame. But uh, look, there are some things that the Trump administration is doing wrong. First of all, like I said earlier, they've got way too many people talking. Jeff Sessions, who is the attorney general, Stephen Miller, Kirsten Nielsen, um, Jeff Sessions, as you guys probably saw, quoted Romans 13 about following governing authorities, which, you know, I don't particularly love that he did that just because I think it's a cheap use of scripture and it's just not a good argument because there are obviously some laws that contradict God's law and we are not called to keep those. Think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Abednego who were thrown into the fiery furnace for refusing to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. So even though it is true that we're supposed to obey the law, it gets tricky when we use that verse to start justifying our lawmaking. Now, I agree with Jeff Sessions that we should honor immigration laws by not allowing illegal entry. I just don't think this was a great way to defend those laws. Uh, But of course, the hilarious part about this is that it has caused many on the left, including MSNBC, to suddenly pronounce their love for the holy word of God and their theological expertise. I mean, it's really incredible, considering that just last week they were protesting Chick-fil-A for one stating support for a biblical view of marriage, uh, considering they don't apply the Bible at all to things like marriage, sexual promiscuity or abortion. Um, Now, though, now the Bible is uber important. Now they're all experts. Okay, got it. Um, no. How about everyone? Everyone on both sides. Leave the b- biblical interpretation up to people who actually read the Bible. Okay, does that sound good? Um, which leads me to the most important part of all of this, which is not my opinion. 
But what does the Bible actually say about this? Because Jeff Sessions is partly right. Romans 13 does say to obey governing authorities. I agree with him that the law is good. God sets up rules and regulations for his people, Israelites and Gentiles that are for our good. Um, But specifically, the Bible has a lot to say about the sojourner or the alien among you. Leviticus 19, 33 through 34, Exodus 22, 21, Exodus 23, 9, Malachi 3, 5, uh, Deuteronomy 27, 19, kind of went out of order. Okay, Jeremiah 7, 5 through 7. Um, These all discuss the importance of kindness and justice for the stranger among you. Then, of course, the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 paints this picture of helping someone of a different ethnicity or background than you. Matthew 25, 35 says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Um, But walls, both literal walls and metaphorical walls are also depicted throughout the Bible as a means of protection and order. Read Nehemiah and the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls as a metaphor in Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Why is that used as a negative metaphor? Because cities without walls are bad. They're unsafe. They're unwise. And now I'm I'm not even using those uh, references to say that biblically God says that every country should have walls and that is that is necessarily the biblical justification for building a literal wall. I'm not really saying that. What I am saying in a much broader sense is that it is obvious that even with God's heart for the sojourner, he still saw necessity in barriers of protection. Um, Based on the Bible, here is how I see it. Um, Number one, in a perfect world, we wouldn't need immigration laws. We would not need any borders or barriers, period. But it is a fallen world, and we do have to be realistic. It is not compassionate for those on the inside or the outside coming in to allow everyone who wants to come into the country to come in. We risk both people's safety and our country's resources when we do that, not to mention we cease to be a sovereign nation. In fact, the stronger the immigration laws, the better. We have to secure our borders so that women and children aren't being smuggled over the border and that they're not being incentivized to make that dangerous journey to cross the border illegally. We need to build a wall of some sort to secure the border. We need a streamlined asylum process where you can show up at a port of entry and be detained with your family while you are awaiting your claim to be approved or denied. We need merit-based immigration. Um, We need it into the visa lottery system. We need an into-chain migration. We need E-Verify. These are the things we need to be pushing our congressmen to pass. Um, We have to make sure, number two, we have to make sure that the people who are being detained at the border are being treated fairly and kindly. And if possible, that true families are always able to stick together. Um, Number three, it is our job to love the immigrant, legal or illegal, once they are here. If you have an illegal immigrant next door, for example, the loving thing to do is to serve them, to build a relationship with them and help them figure out what they can do to be here legally um, and contribute to society. Now, maybe some of you would disagree with me on that, but I just don't think the Christ-like thing to do in that situation is to report them to ICE. I just don't. They're here love them. I also think we can pray for them, pray for the corrupt leaders in these countries. Maybe we can look for ways to actually um, help those people where they are in Central America and Mexico, rather than just bringing them here. It doesn't necessarily always make their life exponentially better. Um, I think we can pray for the people that are being smuggled, pray for the children, pray for even the smugglers um, that they would know Christ. Uh, Remember, we live in an imperfect, broken world in which corrupt countries um, cause their people to flee. It will continue to be like this until Jesus comes back. Until then, we have to employ both wisdom and love in enacting laws that protect people in this country, while also showing compassion in our own lives for those who are running from danger. 
it is not easy. This is not simple. Um, I'm not saying that I have perfect answers or the perfect interpretation of scripture, but we have to come together. We have to find a balance and we have to do something to fix this issue. Okay. That is it on immigration for now. That was a lot to cover, a lot to say. Now I want to move on to my interview with Candace Owens, uh, which has nothing at all to do with immigration. Um, so Candace works for Turning Point USA. She was once a YouTuber by the name of Red Pill Black. She used to be a liberal. Um, she now is what she really just describes as a free thinker. She's had a following for a while, but she really blew up when Kanye West tweeted a couple months ago, I love the way Candace Owens thinks. Most of you probably saw that. Now she's literally everywhere. And with that kind of thing comes a lot of controversy, almost always. Um, Candace is no stranger to controversy. Before she was red pill black, she had a site called Social Autopsy uh, that revealed the information and social media history of people accused of cyberbullying, which a lot of people didn't and still don't like. Um, she was actually a victim of a hate crime in high school. It's a really awful story, um, which is what kind of led her down the path of advocating for people who were getting bullied. She doesn't have that site anymore, obviously, but a lot of people still talk about it. Um, you might have heard about some comments that she made about Me Too that people didn't like. Also, she recently did a video about suicide that people were talking about that they didn't like. And uh, depending on your own opinions, you might just think that that kind of criticism comes with the territory when you're so popular, or maybe you think it's all legitimate. Um, I'm going to let you make up your own mind on that. She is a very articulate person, very poised, who makes a lot of good points. Um, in this interview, I just wanted to get to know her, to ask her some questions that I know other people have been asking. I honestly wish I had asked her more honestly. I, I think I said honestly twice in that sentence. Sorry. Um, I wish I had pressed her on a few more questions, uh, not to be mean or anything, but just because I think that we could have had an even better discussion if we had fleshed out our disagreements. And if I had voiced a little bit more where I diverge from her takes on things, because I do diverge on quite a few topics from her. Um, but hopefully we can have her back because I enjoy talking to her. Uh, anyway, here you go. Candice, thank you so much um, for being here. I am so excited to interview you because I've never actually had a conversation with you, which is crazy because I feel like oh, we've crossed nice. paths so many times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I just want to ask you kind of who you are, where you come from. And my first question that I have is, are you a conservative? Would you classify yourself as that? Yeah, so I like to say I'm more of a fighter for freedom. And if you believe in free ideas, uh, then you it's naturally a conservative position to say there is no home for free ideas on the left. So, um, you know, I try to be careful because then people say, oh, this could be libertarian, this could be conservative. My whole thing is I want to be Candace Owens and I want to be Candace Owens without because I don't want to have to assign a bunch of beliefs to my skin color, to my sex. I just want to have my own ideas. And that's a conservative position today. Yeah. So what would you say that you are conservative on? Like, what were the issues that you were like, okay, that's it. I, I am a conservative on those particular issues. Um, I'm decidedly pro-life. Um, uh, I, uh, well, let's just go through them. What are like the typical conservative, what are the big ones that everyone's always talking about? Pro-life. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, free market, capitalism, strong leaders. Say we're turning point USA. It's all we talk about. We hit these campuses and we're talking about free markets, um, especially in terms of how it fixes the black community, which I'm the most vocal about. Obviously, I think that we've gotten ourselves in a rut. And a lot of it is due to all of these, uh, you know, social welfare programs that have not been helping us whatsoever. Um, what are the other big ones? I'm, I'm like blanking on all of the, what are you conservative about the question? Yeah. Are there I'm, Are there any that you're kind of like... Because you yeah, talk so anti-gay marriage, I'm, I'm not against that for a lot of reasons. Um, the biggest one just being that I don't think marriage should ever have been a government issue, but because it is, I think everyone has the right to get the same tax breaks because they're married. So since yeah. it has, um, it should have probably stayed in the church. Now it's in the government, and because it's in the government, I think it's it's fair to say that um, gay people deserve the exact same tax breaks as everybody else. Um, I have tons of cousins that are gay. I've been to gay weddings. Um, obviously, you know, I'm very close to Dave Rubin. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're more like, you're more like libertarian on that, which I think a lot of conservatives yeah. probably are. Was there a moment that, cause you said that you're, you know, you're very pro-life. Was there a moment that you realized, wow, the things that I believe in actually aren't represented by the left? Yeah. So I just thought I was a liberal. Like there was no reason. It sounds so stupid to say this, but I always call it like a sleepy liberal. Like I just assumed that if you were pro-freedom, I, I had this idea that being a Republican or being conservative was racist. That's just the truth. And it's a system Is it of because you grew up that way. Like are your are your parents progressive? Yes. Yes. Um, especially my mom. My dad has actually voted Republican in his life. He is, a, you know, he I would say he's more of a lifelong Democrat, um, but he has voted uh, Republican in his life. Uh, my grandparents were Democrats um, it are Democrats. My grandmother's dead, but my grandfather is alive. Uh, so I just sort of thought because of the, I guess, the education system, because of the way that my history was taught to me, uh, black history is taught in, in the school system, that every time blacks have had freedom in America, it was given to us by the Democratic Party. Um, and that's that's what's being taught. I mean, that's just quite literally the right answer to the test. We learn about the Southern strategy and that the Republican and Democratic Party switch. That's false. But if you're in the public school education, when are you actually going to learn that all of that is false? You know, um, so when I actually started paying attention to politics, which was um you know, just a couple of years ago, I started realizing that everything was sort of taught to me the wrong way. And I felt extremely uh, lied to and duped. And it became, it was like a fire inside of me. Like I was like, I need to inject a different voice into the dialogue for the black community because no one's doing it in a disruptive enough manner, I guess. So what made you wake up and realize that? Because you, I've read your stuff from the past. We all change our mind. But, I mean, you've always been, and you've said this before, you've always been very smart. So you say that you're a sleepy okay. little. But I know, so I know not, that, you know, you, you knew um, your stuff, and you knew oh, what you were talking about. So, you know, at what point were you like, oh, shoot, I, you know, I just, I don't believe this stuff anymore. Well, I was book smart. I wasn't thinking critically. I had remembered the answers, you know, uh, for the test. So I, I've always done really good in school in that regard. Uh, but I had no practical life experience and I was so burdened by debt. Like I left uh, school with $100,000 plus in student yeah. loan debt. Um, don't have parents that could provide for me financially, had to figure out my life. I was sleeping on my girlfriend's couch when I didn't get my degree in college because my loan got declined my senior year. The last thing anybody cares about when they're burdened by problems is uh, politics. 
Yeah. Even though if you really think about it, everything is political. The reason why you have these problems are political. You can say the same for the black community. You have people that are on welfare trying to, to feed their children. You think they want to stop and debate uh, political arguments. So I understand how I got brainwashed. Here's your free education where we're just going to brainwash you. And now you have a bunch of problems. Sort them out. It's hard to take a step back and say, wait a second, I'd like to pay attention to politics and understand how I got into this position in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, and what was that? I know you said it's not a specific moment. I don't have a specific moment when I became a conservative either. But you talk about that kind of just like waking up to where you right. realized that you had been believing all these things that, you know, don't truly align with who you actually are. What was that? Was it like you were watching the news or did you read a book? How did you, you know, come upon that? So I did like a really long form interview, which you should watch uh, on the Rubin Report, where I talk about um, I was working on a project and it's a crazy story, but it sort of led me to understand that Twitter was operating some troll accounts during um, President Trump's uh, during Trump's campaign for the White House and that those troll accounts would be run by females that were liberal who were pretending to be Trump supporters and calling other people racial slurs threatening to rape women and then people would run away with that narrative that Trump supporters are racist and sexist. So that was the the big aha moment at the same time watching Donald Trump want, you know run for the White House. And um, if you remember during that election cycle, this is a man who everybody loved prior to him announcing that he right. was running for president. Uh, coming from a world that like I grew up on hip hop, it was Mar-a-Lago this, Mar-a-Lago that, you know, that was goal. You know, he was w- winning civil rights awards. Um, and then all of a sudden he runs president and they're like, nope, never mind. He's racist. And I'm smart enough to know that you can't just suddenly tell me to love him and then hate him. All the people that were celebrating him like Snoop Dogg, right? If you remember Snoop Dogg was a part of uh, the Donald Trump roast when he, uh, had that on, I don't remember which network it was suddenly saying, you know, he's a racist, stay away from him. So it just felt really inauthentic to me. And I think if there's one thing that people remember me as for my entire life, my school life, my college life, my work life, I'm extremely authentic. And I don't like when people try to insert ideas in my head. And I just said, he's telling the truth. This is fake news. And I started to realize that racism was a theme that was just meant to keep black people as single issue voters. So I wasn't active politically at all. Like, you know, I didn't vote. <laughs> I just thought, assumed I was a liberal and I was Democrat because I was black. Yeah. Sounds, but it's just the truth. <laughs> yeah. It was just, so it was like that, that Twitter thing, which is absolutely crazy by the way. And then it was kind of seeing the hypocrisy about Donald Trump. And so that was, you would say kind of like the gateway into, wow, this issue, this issue, this issue. Um, are you a person of faith? Like did that ever affect your political views? It's so interesting because so I grew up in a very Christian home. Like my grandfather, we had to read uh, prayers every single morning and answer questions like around the breakfast table. Like my grandpa is like super Southern, very Christian. Yeah. And I, I rebelled against that in my middle years, you know, and, but that's when things were really bad for me. I had a really hard time from the time that I was, I would say 16 to 21. I was not happy. I was, I was a mean person because I was an unhappy person as I sort of, became, I came more and more into my own as I started to think about what I wanted out of life as I became more mature and more secure and increasingly more conservative. It just brought me back to a place of spiritualism in a very bizarre way. I got very sick at the end of 2016. Um, for six months I was bedridden. I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the YWLS thing tomorrow, I think. Um, but that was really time where I thought I was going to lose everything. I, my entire face was, uh, you know, completely lost. I couldn't think. And when, 
you know, when God wants to bring you to your knees, he will. And it just, it changed my life. I started like, it really humbled me. I think Mm -hmm. first and foremost is most people when they meet me are really surprised by like how nice I am. And I always wonder if he did that before he wanted me to do this. If if he had to bring me to my knees and make me realize how easy it all could be gone, um, in order to give me the platform that I have today. So I did come business for <laughs> they can be it's a lot of personalities. Um, but that to me just brought me a lot closer to spiritualism. And then of course, you know, Charlie is an evangelical Christian, so it's hard not to be spiritual around him. Like when people do bad things to Charlie Kirk, he'll literally be like, I'm going to pray for them. And it just makes me go like, I need to be that person. Like, you yeah. know, like yeah. that is like the kindest, like someone can do something terrible to him. You know, just be like, you know what? I'm going to, I'll be back. I'm going to go pray for them. Like, yeah. 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 Well, one thing I have noticed about Charlie is that he's a really good peacemaker like he's really good at at making amends with people and I do think that that says a lot about you so are you you said spiritualism are you are you would you call yourself a Christian well I I think for so my spiritual path if you will started with yoga um I got really into meditation really into yoga um and and that's like not necessarily saying God but just acknowledging like spirit guides if you will if there are, yeah. that there's more to you and that you can really focus on something meditation is is prayer right um and I just it sort of cleared my mind and you know I was like I don't need to assign this to a god but I just need to speak to the universe in a way and find my center uh you know I didn't want to be seen during those 6 months I I I, I know that sounds really vain but it really, I didn't, I, nobody saw me, not even only my cousin was the only person I allowed to see me. Um, but I would go to yoga and, you know, just pray that this thing would be wiped off from my face and my body. And, um, but you know, increasingly, I guess I'm not a practicing Christian. I, I was raised Christian. And so the, the, for me, it's very easy. It's just, you know, my family talks about God all the time. Um, and I'm, I am Christian, uh, but, you know, I, I, I just say I'm spiritual and I, I know that there's somebody that is moving the world <laughs> because the things that have happened to me, the blessings that I've had um, and the curses that were ultimately in the end, realizing they were blessings, like losing everything, losing my hair, my face. And um, that's because God, I don't know, God needed me to do that. Mm-hmm. What do you see as your your biggest role in the conservative movement or even the, the black conservative movement, if you want to make that distinction? Um, I know you, t- you talk about that a lot. So yeah. what's the specific role that you see yourself playing? I feel like I need to free them. Like, I feel like our minds have been enslaved. My mind was enslaved. And I know how blessed I feel right now to be free. Like, I didn't know that I was enslaved. So the journey is hard because they don't even know that they are enslaved right now. They don't even know um, how nefarious and how calculated it, it was. And um, for us to believe that we were free when, in fact, we, we aren't free whatsoever. We're in a place where we've become, as I always say, ideological slaves. Um, we have been pulling the weight for the Democratic Party and they have given us nothing in return. So I see my biggest goal in being a punch in the face. And I always say a punch in the face. Like, obviously, you know, I'm much more like blunt. And uh, I think people that read my Twitter feed are like, how can you just say like say it like that? But the truth is, is that it wasn't working the other way. You know, mm-hmm. we've had the people that have done it the right way. Condoleezza Rice, she's amazing, right? right. One of the yes. smartest women in the world, if we're being honest the first black woman to get into Augusta, the first black person to get into Augusta. We've had Dr. Ben Carson and I I was blessed to meet him and to speak to him and really, you know, connect and he gets what I'm doing. Um, It just, it didn't work. And it's because someone had to have 
the sass and the swag, if you will, to say, I'll, I'll, I'll talk trash. You want to talk trash? I'll talk trash right back to you. You know, I'm not afraid of this. Um, because everyone else just gets painted as a white, they, you're white. Dr. McCarson's white. Condoleezza Rice, she's white. Um, even though those, their stories are literally from nothing all the way to the top. And you would think that we would be admiring that, but instead we're admiring LeBron James, right? Right. So you feel like they're, even though their accomplishments are great, their way of actually trying to win black people over to conservatism hasn't really worked. So what would you, you said that your tactic is a punch in the face. Yeah. What is, what is that really, what does that mean? So let's start from the beginning. I started on YouTube, right? I was making YouTube videos and I understood, okay, I'm black. What is black culture? We love humor. That's the quickest way to, to, to get black people to pay attention is to, use, is to use humor. I am like my family. We are the funniest people in the entire world. I, I might be a little biased. I think I have the funniest family in the entire world. So I grew up like we make fun of each other. That's how we show love. Right. So I wanted to make the videos feel like that. I wanted to be funny and quirky and do voices and just be myself, really. And but packing a lesson here. And I knew it would get under their skin, but I knew that they would want to engage in it because I know that in my family, making fun of somebody and getting under the skin is what, you know, it's how we get into our arguments and our, and our um, little fights. So that's how I started. I just wanted to make videos. You know, sometimes I would just rant like that first video that got 80 million views. I was just like, really? And I was attacked by a KKK his whole life growing up. So I like know, like the fact that black people today believe that we are living in a worse time than our grandparents is an insult. It's an insult right. to everything that they went through and everything that they fought for. We're spoiled. We're spoiled rotten, you know? Right. Um, right. So, yeah, I guess that was sort of my style and approach was yeah. more lighthearted. And people, I think, initially thought I was really stupid. They're like, oh, she's making these cute, she's a cute girl making videos. And this was this was strategic. It, where we live in this generation, you're, you're a millennial, I'm a millennial. Quickest attention span ever. The videos had to be fast. They had to be um, a, a splash because otherwise people would just not watch the whole thing like Dr. Thomas Sowell. He's absolutely brilliant. But are they going to watch a, a two-hour lecture of Dr. Thomas Sowell? Or are they going to watch this girl that's in your face doing camera tricks and, and going, you know, and pissing you off a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it definitely grabs your attention. I remember yeah. your first video. I remember when the first one went viral. My mom was like, do you know who this is? I was like, <laughs> no, but I'm sure I will. Um, so, yeah, I love that. That's great. Um so you probably learned a lot from the first time that you were like started waking up to these conservative ideas and realizing that you aligned with them to now. Are there are there any sources of information or books that you've read that have majorly influenced you over the past couple of years? Um, so I read Dr. Thomas Sowell like religiously. I'm reading right now uh, Race and Intellectuals. I think that's his new book and someone gifted it to me. Um, so that's what I'm reading right now. Um, Walter E. Williams, amazing to read, to really understand. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I watched a lot of their videos and interviews. Like I'm, I could say my biggest source of inspiration is Dr. Thomas Sowell. He, he has so many books out and you could be reading him. I could be reading him for the next five years, which is great. Um, but oh he, gosh, he, he has issues. So what I like to do is is read from them, understand the points, and then re-deliver them in a way that makes sense. And, and that's not to dumb it down. It's just to make it more conversational and colloquial. Uh, you know, what Donald Trump is tremendous at, right? He doesn't get up there and speak above people's heads. He's talking to them like he's their next door neighbor and, you know, moving his hands and saying, you know, these ridiculous sentences to some people. But it's it's feels 
more real. It feels more authentic. It feels like something that people can understand and relate to. And that's what I'm always trying to demonstrate. Yes, sometimes. I think we probably disagree just a little bit on the rhetoric, which is totally fine. I'm not the, <laughs> the biggest fan of his rhetoric. I think he does a lot of things well. That yeah. particular thing I think he could work on. What do, you, <laughs> what do you say? You have a lot of critics, but my dad used to say, the farther you climb up the ladder, the more your butt is exposed. Um, which is true for you. I you love ex- that expression. Yes, you should. That's you should so use it. You, that yes, yes, you can use it free of charge. Um, <laughs> but you you were already someone, obviously, before Kanye West tweeted you. Then he did, and it like blew up exponentially. It, it seems like. What do you say to all of the people who criticize you? Say that you're fake, that you're a fraud, that you're really just a liberal, that you're a token, that you know, turning point is just using you. What do you say to all that? I don't say anything. People are entitled to their own opinions. If I woke up every day and I was worried about people's opinions, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. I mean, but I you got do, you do punch back at people. You do. You Certain, you're yeah, not, but you don't stop. You know, you defend yourself. I do, and 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 but even that is strategy. It's an art form, right? So I will I will pluck the person because I, I get these comments all day, but I'll wait, right? So for a while, um, you may have seen the last two weeks, I had the Ellen Show producers like attacking me on Twitter after every tweet. It was very bizarre. I said, let me wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait and let them keep doing this, and then I'm gonna call them all out at once to show you how hypocritical the left is. This is just the, the Ellen Show is about love. At the end of every show, she says, "Be nicer." Her two executive producers have been tweeting, calling me stupid, calling me this, calling me that. And I said, okay, this is a perfect moment just to, to as, a, as a piece of art, show people. Am I offended that they call me stupid? No. I'm a tough girl. I've lived through a lot of stuff. I have sisters, first off. And I'll tell you, nobody says anything worse to me than my sisters in a group chat. Like, we are constantly insulting each other, you know? Um, and that's just a sport of, of being sisters. But I, I do want to demonstrate to the world the, hypocr- the hypocrisy of the left, the things that they say to C.J. Pearson, who is, uh, like, 15 years old. Uh, so I punch back, um, but I punch back strategically and it's a demonstration to show people what my ultimate message is, which is that you've been duped, you've been lied to and people that pretend that they're the nice people that they have the moral high ground are the nastiest people that I've encountered in my entire life. Right. Right. So you don't have, you don't really care when people talk about like, you know, people talk about social autopsy being like a doxing site and all of that and saying, you know, that's so progressive and so far left and how could you be a conservative now? That doesn't bother you. No, not at all, because I, it, wasn't, it wasn't political. It was a non-political thing that was supposed to help high schoolers being bullied because I went through a situation in high school where three kids were arrested for sending messages. And what people want to want to politicize that and make it seem like I could not care less. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Um, okay, one last question, because I know you have to go. There's obviously been some conflict, but, you know, you're no, you're no stranger to conflict. There's been some conflict around recent comments about Me Too. Um, and a lot of people feel that you, uh, you are basically calling victims of me too weak and inconsequential for stepping forward. Is that, is that what you meant to say? Or is it more about me too? I said, I said me too. So I don't even understand how they could have possibly built that strong man argument. I did not say sexual assault victims. I said the me too movement is this. And, um, you know, Condoleezza Rice said it before me and no one cared because she's older and she has a little more sophistication than to tweet it. (laughs) And I could have learned that lesson. And I did this time that if I want to 
talk about something bigger, do it long form. Don't do it in a series of tweets because then people will nitpick. Um, but look, I, I meant what I said. I think I've been ideologically consistent from the beginning. I've come out and I said that I don't support Black Lives Matter. Does that mean does that mean I don't support black people? No. I came out and I said I don't support March for Our Lives. Does that mean that I want kids to be shot in school? No. I'm coming out and I'm saying that I don't support the Me Too movement and I find it to be problematic. Does that mean that I don't support ra- you know rape survivors? No, absolutely not. I'm saying that a lot of these movements that are rooted in victimhood right um initially they inspire people that feel like they finally have a voice black lives matter so many of my cousins even said this is great like i've been pulled over by cops so many times and i know that it was because i was black and they saw themselves in a movement but eventually black lives matter movement got hijacked and people started realizing that they could assassinate careers that they could that they could have an upper hand and it no longer became productive and it created a separation between white people and black people similarly you can say for march for our lives it became you know initially these high schoolers felt like they had a voice and that they could say how they felt and that they were scared it got hijacked and it created division against people that are pro 2a but that i support and know and love and people that want strict gun control and then you could say for the me too movement it, it, same thing uh, victims saw themselves in this movement uh great it's good that they that they felt inspired to have a voice and now i believe that it's been hijacked and it's become a, a means to take down people and look i speak out against this because god forbid you know with all the work that turning points doing you've been to our conferences you see how big we're getting god forbid they try to go after all the men on our team by, by with allegations like and uh, gail king said it's it's getting rid of due process it's enough to end somebody's career with an allegation, Morgan Freedom, Freeman, they're already talking about reversing his accolades, and they have they haven't even, you know, they said he made a comment, and one girl said that he he potentially, I don't know, I don't really know the details, but maybe she said he potentially t- she he tried to touch her, um, and that's enough to reverse his his entire life's work. That doesn't really seem fair. And look, Allie, you're well, you and I are about the same age. I think about all the time that we're probably going to have kids, right? Like we we could potentially be having kids in the next seven years. What if we have a little boy, right? Is this the world that we want to create? Is it that that this becomes the world that they live in? That if they say something that is flirtatious, it could potentially be misconstrued, and now they're in the same category as Harvey Weinstein, who is a monster, Bill Cosby, who is a monster, and I would never defend. The lines have been blurred, and until we start speaking out and saying no, that's not a part of this movement, but this is, um, it's 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 going to create a world yeah. that's impossible for guys to live in. I, and I think that's the distinction: is being able to say, "Here's the good part about me too: that women are." coming forward and they do have a voice. I have a lot of criticism about me too. One, I just made uh, an entire PragerU video on toxic masculinity. So you don't even have to get me started on that. And I have problems with me too, primarily as a Christian, because it doesn't offer any hope. Um, It doesn't offer the gospel, which I think is the answer to all sin and the answer to all desperation at the end of the day. So I do have a problem with me too. Um, But I also... And it's such a hard balance to strike. I also don't want people who want to come forward and who feel protected by Me Too, like, oh, well, now they can't because, you know, someone's going to call them weak or, you know, right. they're just a well, victim. Well, they could be very weak. I, I, what I'm calling are these movements. So Black Lives Matter, like, I, my heart goes out to Black people who feel that they've been, you know, mi- you know, miss, uh, unfairly treated by police officers and they get pulled over. Yeah. It's not what that movement is about anymore. It's about creating a war between black people and white people, right? right? So when Condoleezza Rice started talking about the trappings of Me Too, and she used a stronger word, she said, you know, let's not turn women into snowflakes, she said. 
And I could see why that could be offensive, but try to really look at what we're talking about. A lot of these movements that are rooted in victimhood get hijacked, and we have to be careful with that stuff. We have to be careful because then you're just re-victimizing the victim. And I find that they use victims, and I don't like it. So I'm actually defending victims at the highest regard because I'm saying that what you went through is important that you should never allow somebody and allow people to say, oh, after 20 years, I fell out of amnesia. And I do remember that Donald Trump did try to hit on me a lot. We've seen this. And it becomes a, it's a part of the hashtag me too, right? Yeah. So that actually cheapens what you live through. Like we had a girl give a speech today about her rape. And that's an incredible, powerful story. But it doesn't need a hashtag. What you live through is so important that I hope you find your voice and I hope you find your strength. Um, and when it gets blurred in with the girl who from 20 years ago fell out of amnesia recently and remembers that Donald Trump down her in a lobby, it's messy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What is your vision and goal for the next five years? And then I'll let you go. This question, because I feel like it, it, it shapes, it shapes so much. Um, not a politician. I, 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 really it's ironic that I'm even in politics because I actually hate politics, right? I talk about how much I hate all of this stuff and everything is politicized, but, um, I, I just want to call it cause like inspire a revolution. I want to be a part of people freeing their minds. Every time I get on stage, the message that I give to everyone is you are a powerful person. Don't be a fan of me, be a fan of yourself. And if you let society continue, continue to tell you why you can't, which I feel that we've done so much, like self-confidence is, is almost considered a bad trait nowadays. You know, they use words like selfish and they mean it in a bad way. Um, believe in yourself, like yeah. believe that you can do it. See, I, think I, I totally disagree. I did actually really disagree with you on that. I feel like people love themselves way too much and that oh. we make everything about us. And that is what makes us, I think that that is what holds us back as not just conservatives, but making a difference in general. If you're only, and not you, but in general, if your only goal is fame and the only goal is yourself and the only goal is making a name for yourself and making yourself bigger, your flame is going to be out like that. You've got to attach yourself. Not you, not you, not you. I'm talking about in general, like your message. Like, I feel like I always tell people, no, don't believe in yourself. Believe in something bigger than yourself. No. Yeah. Okay. This is interesting. And we should do something on this. I actually, I like this. Um, I like this debate. So I think that from the second that you're socialized as a child, you're told what you can't do and what you're bad at. You're bad at math. You're bad at reading. Oh, you got to get better at dance. You got to get better at gym. And the most confident people in the world are children who haven't been socialized yet. Yeah. Go find a three-year-old on the playground. Go find a child. They think they can fly. They literally don't understand gravity. They think they can, and they're the happiest people in the entire world. And then when you go and you find a 13-year-old, it's all gone. Like like the, the, the fire and the belief in themselves is all gone. And I think that that makes it really easy for people to be controlled. And, and people that are very self-confident actually tend to go very far in life. And I'm not talking about this machine self-confident and narcissistic. And I think yeah. what you're hitting on the culture of narcissism. Like I feel like when I'm doing my Instagram thing, I, I'm so aware of how lame it is that I'm like holding a phone being like, I'll be on Fox in five minutes. And that that's the culture that we breed. And I hate, I do hate the narcissism of it all. Instagram is really hard for me. I think it's good for girls that like to show their bodies and, you know, have a beauty project, but I like Twitter because it's just intellectual. Um, but I, I think that there's a difference between self-confidence and narcissism. And narcissism is a culture that social media often produces. Uh, Self-confidence is the key to the world. So that's your goal and message for the next five years, you would say. That's the revolution that you want to lead. 
Yeah, and we're launching it, and, and we're going to, to launch just a, a revolutionary idea and concept and a book that I've been working on, and we've had two minus – uh, T minus eight weeks out, and we've been working so hard. So I hope it goes well. You can't say you can't say what this revolutionary idea is. No, but I promise. In the first week that I announced it, I will do an interview with you. Okay, that would be great. And we should like crazy and nuts and wanting an interview, but I will totally do this. I love you. I love what you're doing. Congratulations. So that's that. Let me know what you think about it. Send me an email or a message. And I told you all I would answer a couple of your Bible questions. Uh, Once again, I got a million questions and they were all really good, but I only have time for one. Um, And this is it. This is from Jenna. So she says, my friend was murdered recently and I don't think that was God's plan for her life, right? Because sin entered the world. She was murdered. But why didn't he make his perfect plan for her work and help that not to happen? Um, So this is a very good, very hard, but also I think a very common question because it's basically this. Would a good God let or cause bad things to happen? And the very uncomfortable answer is yes. In this fallen world, yes. But first, I do want to say how terribly sorry I am that that happened. Um, Know that God is near to the brokenhearted, that he binds their wounds. He brings beauty out of ashes. He makes good come from evil. He does have a plan for all things, and he is close to you. Um, And I'm just so, so sorry that that happened. Um, To answer your question, though, was this murder God's or part of God's perfect plan? Is anything part of uh, God's uh, is anything horrific part of God's plan? Rape, sex trafficking, child abuse. And the answer is kind of complex. So um, I'll lay it out as best as I can. We have to remember four irrefutable attributes of God. One, he is everywhere. Two, he is all powerful. Three, he knows everything. And four, he is completely good. So he is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient and he is good. Um, Those attributes are what makes his plans perfect. Not that they are actually perfect in our eyes, but that they are perfectly in line with his will, no matter what that means. So is it his will for horrible things like murder to happen? Um, When we talk about the goodness of God and balance it with the sovereignty of God, we hear a lot that God, quote, allows things to happen. And while that's true in some ways, for example, we know from James 1.13 that God does not himself tempt us with sin. So anything directly caused by human sin like murder, it's not like God directly encouraged that. But the hard truth is we he could have stopped it if he wanted to. Because there is absolutely nothing that happens that is outside of his grasp. That's why I don't love the term allow when it comes to God, because it makes it sound like God took a step back and pretended not to see what was happening or something. And that's just not accurate. Um, Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 139.16 says, your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Um, I think this is very hard for us to comprehend that a good, all powerful God would watch as something like murder um, happens and then do nothing. It seems like we are really uncomfortable with calling things God's fault. So we use terms like allow, but I don't think that's really an accurate portrayal of God's character. Um, I've always thought about it with this analogy that I think, I think is my own original creation unless I read it somewhere and I just don't remember. So y'all can call me out if so, but I think I thought of this on my own a few years ago. Um, 
So you have a babysitter who's watching a two-year-old. The two-year-old drowns in a pool. When the parents get home, there are four possibilities for them to consider. Number one, that the babysitter was not present when it happened. Number two, that the babysitter was present, but was somehow physically incapable of getting to the child. Number three, that the babysitter didn't know how to save the child. Or number four, that she was present, uh, capable of saving the child and knew how to save the child, but she purposely didn't. So say number four is true, that she was there, she was able, she was knowledgeable, but she did not save the child. Would we say that the babysitter just allowed the drowning to happen? Would we say that, well, she didn't push him in, so she just allowed it? It's not her fault? No, of course not. It would be her fault because she had all the power in the world to stop it and she didn't. In the same way, God has all the power in the world to stop bad things from happening and he sometimes doesn't. And as uncomfortable as that makes us, we don't need to let God off the hook. He doesn't ask to be let off the hook. Now, that doesn't answer the question of why. Even with free will, he does have the power to stop all things from happening. We, we don't fully know why, though. Sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. Why cancer? Why child abuse? Why car wrecks? Why all these things that seem so unnecessarily evil and tragic? Heck, why did the fall happen in the first place? Surely he could have banished the serpent from the Garden of Eden. Go back even further. Why did he make Lucifer knowing full well that he was going to rebel? I don't know. What I do know is that his own glory is his number one goal. And it's the purpose of his plan of redemption for all of us. That every single thing that happens falls in line with his ultimate plan of redemption and glory. Um, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I don't know why a loving, good God who is fully in control of every facet of the universe purposely lets, for lack of a better term, bad things happen. Um, some kinds of bad things seem more understandable than others to me. Sickness, okay. Death, okay. But the sick sex trafficking and rape of little girls and boys, the murder of an innocent child, that, I'll be honest with you, I don't get. And I don't think I ever will. Uh, Tim Keller has a great analogy for this in his book, Reason for God. And it's the analogy of a child getting a vaccination shot. Uh, the child is going to cry because of pain and the parent will comfort their child. They will hold their hand. They might even cry with them, knowing though that the pain is going to end and that ultimately the vaccination is worth this pain. Uh, the parent doesn't try to explain the vaccinations to the child. There would be absolutely no point in that. The child cannot understand. All the child knows in that moment is pain. So if that's the gap of understanding between a child and a parent, two fallible human beings, imagine the gap of understanding between a human being and God, a fallible being and an infallible one. That's really all I have. Uh, Romans 9 talks about the sovereignty of God, how difficult it is to comprehend for human beings, how natural it is for us to question God's goodness when he clearly ordains things to happen that we don't understand. I don't think we will ever fully specifically know why these things happen. What we can do, though, is put our hope in Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, knowing that the trials that we endure now aren't even worth comparing to what God has stored up for his followers in heaven, that one day God's going to wipe away every tear, that there will be no more sadness, no more murder, no more confusion, no more politics, no more disagreements, and we will all worship in perfect harmony and joy forever and ever. Um, I hope that at least somewhat 
answers your question. Um, and again, I'm so sorry that that happened. Um, it was a really good question and I hope you all had some encouragement from that. Feel free to send me your thoughts. Um, okay, that's all I have for today. Again, I love you guys as always. Thank you so much for listening. Leave a review if you would like. Uh, follow me on social media if you would like. Definitely go to crtv.com, check out more of our stuff. Okay, love you, bye.